Hello, I'm Georges Collinet with you on Afropop Worldwide from PRX. In this Black History Month special, we take you back to a program we produced over 20 years ago. It's a show that looks back even further into the 19th century. I'm talking about the African-American string music tradition. This program features a rare interview with the late maestro Howard Armstrong. It's an Afropop classic, and we're happy to share it with you today. Will the singer be a drogan man Will the circle be unbroken? Not on this program. Hello, Georges Collinet with you on Afropop Worldwide from PRX. This edition, our grand swing through the African-American string music tradition. You know, string music is an important link in the circle that connects American music with Africa. We're going to take you back to a time before the blues, before jazz. A time when black musicians throughout much of the United States sawed on fiddles and picked on banjos. We'll listen to some of the earliest recordings available and try to imagine what American Afropop sounded like back in the 19th century. To start things off, Howard Armstrong and the Tennessee Chocolate Drops in the 1930 recording of Vine Street Drag.
banjo originated in Africa, you know that. And, and, and a lot of people don't know, also the violin. But the violin wasn't such a polished instrument back there like it is now. Mr. Stradivarius, you know, out of Italy, would put the nice polished finishing touches on it, see. But uh, the violin and the uh, guitar, banjo, all those stringed instruments originated in Africa. They didn't look as polished as they do now because they used to play gourds. They used to make instruments, fiddles and things out of gourds and all like that, you know, like in, in Africa. Our guest on this program, that's 91-year-old Howard Armstrong, a.k.a. Louis Bluey, one of the only living survivors of the black string band tradition. Howard plays just about every string instrument there is in the U.S., and he knows what he's talking about. From East Texas to the Carolina coast, African slaves were building fiddles and banjos from gourds or cigar boxes with tanned cat hides stretched over them, horsehair bows and gut strings. There's little doubt that they were recreating versions of instruments they remembered from home. Georges Codinet with you on Afropop Worldwide's special on the African-American string band tradition. That's a recording from northern Ghana on the Goje, a bowed lute, much like those found throughout Northwest Africa. It's not so different from the instruments American slaves were playing. Now here's our old friend Ali Farka Touré of Mali playing another African violin, the Njarka, on Radio Mali in the 1970s. Fix your ear on the tone of Farka's instrument and keep that in your mind as we hear three selections from black American fiddlers.
From Tennessee, Blind James Campbell and his Nashville Street Band with Beaufort Clay on fiddle. And before that, a 1949 recording of a Tennessee trio led by fiddler John Lusk. And from Louisiana, Creole fiddling from Canray Fontenot. Some people hear these recordings and say, hey, that doesn't sound African. But remember, by the time recordings were made, black and white string players had been sharing repertoires and learning each other's tricks for literally hundreds of years. That repertoire ran the gamut of hymns, Celtic songs, breakdowns, rags, jigs, Scottishes, polkas, marches on pipes, reels, light classical ditties, badman ballads, field hollers set to banjo accompaniment, and of course, popular songs of every era and region. Howard Armstrong has been explaining this to people all his life. Because if they know the history, uh, many, many black slaves who were slaves were musicians, and they had they were special privilege among the other slaves. They didn't have to go out there and get all that cotton and do a lot of hard work if they were the master's music band they played for his guests and all like that and were honored, so to speak, you know what I mean? And they could play, that's why they, they learned to play all the songs, Scotch songs, Irish songs, and all like that, see. And, and uh, around Chicago and places like that, we got nice reception because we played the kind of songs that people wanted. We played Polish songs, old barracks and mazurkas and all like that, played Russian songs, played German songs. Sing them in German. We had a black Deutschman before, you know. <laughs> yo, 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 yo. Weiß nicht, wie gut ich Centuries ago in the Appalachian Mountains, free black musicians get together with poor roustabouts from Scotland and Ireland and traded tunes and you thought Afro-Celtic music was new. Later, in Louisiana, black and white musicians played together on riverboats. Mark Twain described them as fiddling, song-singing, whiskey-drinking, breakdown-dancing rapscallions. White musicians from Bill Monroe to Elvis Presley have acknowledged the contributions black musicians made to their sounds. In the 1920s in Knoxville, Tennessee, Howard Armstrong learned for himself how music could cut through racial barriers. When I first started, you know, to play music, we couldn't even sit in the same waiting room with whites being black, if you what I mean. But when it came to playing music and thing, we met on rather common ground. I was the youngest one in the group that, before I started my own group, you know, that, uh, played, you know, I played my fiddle, and I could play fiddle and play my mandolin, you know, with older guys. Mama didn't, wasn't so happy about me playing. <laughs> she called them rounders, you know. Guys like Andy Klein, Clarence Venable, John Dye, and all those were old scuffling guys played uh, honky-tonk stuff, you know, around black places, and played Paul White and all, see. Among the string bands of the post-Civil War period, people couldn't tell white bands from black ones. Now you try. Here are two early string band recordings. Can you spot the black fiddler?
East Texas Fiddler, Eck Robertson, preceded by Taylor's Kentucky Boys, featuring Jim Booker's Boeing. Now, get your guesses ready? Well, Robertson was... White, yep. And Booker, our first fiddler, was black. The truth is, you can hear elements of African and European music in both bands. Even in Howard Armstrong's day, older white musicians, those rounders and skunks his mama complained about, found they had things to learn from young Howard. Because one thing I could do, I could play fast and I could play loud, you see. We didn't have electric instruments then, you know. And I had a nice repertoire, you know, and shoot. They didn't know as much as I did about the modern songs at the time. I knew all the latest songs, like these kids know about this hip-hop dancing and stuff, you know. Well, well, the older guys that played with me, I'm 14 years old, and those guys, 40 or 50, they didn't know the song like Brown Eyes, Why You Blue, and uh, Bonnie Goo Goo with the Goo 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 Eyes, and... Uh, Oh, I rainbow around my shoulder and all that kind of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> What a charmer. Howard Armstrong. A charmer indeed. The late Howard Armstrong on our encore edition of an Afropop classic, the African-American string music tradition. Visit afropop.org to read more of our interview with Howard. Way back in January of 2000, I'm Georges Collinet, and you're listening to Afropop Worldwide from PRX. Howard Armstrong taking up his mandolin and sitting down with an old accomplice, Bancho Ike Robinson. Hey, what was that pretty song that you told me? You know, I don't know it so well, but you said... What uh, oh, that, that, uh, oh, My Four Reasons. Yeah, My Four Reasons. Oh, yeah, I wrote that in jail, man. Did you write in jail? Yeah. What, what were you in jail for? Now, you see, that's getting a little personal. Oh, excuse me. I thought it was the time that you found a rope in the street. And we didn't put you in jail. They didn't put you in jail for the rope. You had a pig on the other end of the rope. Is that right? All right. Uh, well, anyway, come you, on. You want me to play a little so you can see yeah. what this is? Play yeah. a little bit first. Pick up on Tommy. Yeah. I hate a girl who's full of notes, gets a jug and uses Joe. That's one of my four reasons. That's two of my four reasons And when she uses garlic Eats Limburger cheese I get a weakened spot down around my knees Now folks, I've told you this and that My mind's at ease yeah. That's all for my four reasons I got it
He stopped her to the heart, her heart's blood, it did flow. He stopped her through the heart, her heart's blood, it did flow. And then through the grave, pretty falling did go. Well, it's sweet, really turn loose on my hand. You see my heart's blood puddling around where you stand. He threw some dirt over her and turned to go home. He threw some dirt over her and turned to go home. Leaving nothing behind him but the bird is to mourn. This gentleman and ladies, I bid you farewell. Gentlemen and ladies, I bid you farewell. For killing Fred Foley, you send my soul to hell. That was B.F. Shelton, a white singer and banjo player from Kentucky. Throughout the 19th century, the most popular form of entertainment in America was minstrel shows. The white minstrels made fun of black people, the way they looked, the way they talked, and the way they played their crazy African instruments, especially the banjo. White musicians played banjos in public for the first time in these shows. But what started as a joke quickly became serious. B.F. Shelton's grisly ballad, Pretty Polly, goes back to Europe a century earlier, but his syncopated banjo accompaniment shows he's been learning claw hammer frailing technique from his black brothers. Gonna write me a letter Gonna send it on the phone Eventually, minstrel stereotypes would help to drive black musicians away from the fiddle and the banjo. But a few of the great black banjo players would survive to be recorded in the 20th century. Odell Thompson, Elizabeth Cotton, Hobart Smith, John Snipes, and here, with his version of Black Annie, Dink Roberts, born in North Carolina in 1894. Black Annie, we black Annie move. Black Annie drinking the day. Yeah. Yeah, Black Annie went down to the barroom door. Four, four, four gallon jug. Hand it down. Cricket, you king. Don't let my man get me here with the back. Way down, way down, way down, I need you some time with the back. Don't let my man get me in. For sure, he didn't make family faithful of the dope. We say bad. Next shot, he didn't make family faithful of the dope. Did the next shot. He didn't make 
Odell Thompson on banjo and vocal, and before that, Dink Roberts on Afropop Worldwide's African-American String Music Special. Keen Afropop listeners may recognize that song by Odell Thompson. Georgia Buck was the basis for the 1999 hit All Georgie Buck from Taj Mahal's Skulanjan Project, featuring Malian Ngoni Ace Baseku Kuyate. Let's hear the connection between the Ngoni and the banjo. Here's Baseku playing a Bambara folk song on Ngoni. We're going to fade it into African-American banjo veteran John Tyree with his version of Fox Chase. And after that, we'll hear something truly unusual. Baseku in Mali playing an old Appalachian tune with an American banjo playing friend, Dirk Westervelt.
Talk about an unbroken circle. That was Wild Goose Chase with Basiku Kuyati on Goni and Dirk Westervelt on banjo. Basiku once attended a conference of banjo players in New Lebanon, Tennessee, and not surprisingly, most of them were white. But Taj Mahal was there, and he remembers how the audience responded when they heard Basiku play. The night that he played the concert, you could hear mosquitoes walking like T-Rex in that room. I mean, people, because this is the first time they'd ever seen where the instrument came from, and he played so beautiful. It was a stand it was like a five-minute standing ovation after he played. You know, to see him walk up on the stage and, you know, with his booba and everything rolling and everything, and just get up there and play that instrument, and everybody went. It was that kind of silence. It was like so loud you couldn't, and they just, I mean, it just blew their minds. You know, I remember talking to uh, uh, Ronnie Stoneman, and she she came walking up and she said, she said, the banjo's been in our family for, I don't know, 250 years or something like that. And this is the first time I ever saw where it comes from. She said, no, we really want you to know that. It was the most impressive thing that I've ever seen. And she, the girl can play banjo, serious banjo player, okay? Taj Mahal's Kulanjan project makes a lot of interesting connections between African and American string music, including links to the earliest forms of the blues. We haven't talked much about the guitar on this program, but here's a guitar connection that Taj noticed back in the 1970s. We'll start with an excerpt from El Haji Baikonte of Gambia, a grand old man of the 21-string kora, playing the Manding classic Alalake, and then go to Mississippi John Hurt's Spike Driver's Blues, which the Kulanjan group adapted as Take This Hammer. What do you hear? Gone. 
John Henry, he left his hammer all over in rain, all over in rain. That's why I'm gone. John Henry, he's a steel-driving boy, but he went down. But he went down, but he went down. John Henry was steel driving boy. But he went down, but he went down. That's why I'm going.
Violin Sing the Blues for Me. That's the Johnson Boys, recorded in 1928. In the 1920s, record companies like Brunswick and OK were releasing what they called race records. In the era of Jim Crow laws, there had to be black music, blues, jazz and gospel, and white music, which included the string traditions that black musicians had always been a part of before. A few groups like the Mississippi Sheiks and Howard Armstrong's Tennessee Chocolate Drops kept up the old black string band tradition, but it was an uphill battle and they had to be careful, especially when playing for white audiences. Howard will tell you. Even when I had my group together as a young guy in my teens, only blues we could play in white audiences among white people were the St. Louis blues, Memphis blues, and then if you knew the Limehouse blues, all right. Other than that, no, no. Because I remember playing one night, we, the quartet of us, over there, and I said, we were in Chicago. We were playing for a big white upper crust, as black people call it, sedite. You know what the word sedite is? It means you're super elegant, you know. That's, that's as high as you can get on the scale, on the social scales. <laughs> and uh, we were playing for a nice group of people. At least the pay was nice, you know. And so, uh, one of the guys in the group said, hey, man, let's, let's, let's mash some good doing blues on them. I said, I don't care as long as I'm getting paid, you know. And we broke down on some old low-down, what we call low-down dirty blues, you know. And we were low We were cooking with it, too. <laughs> and I looked around. Here's a long, tall, redneck dude, you know, looking down on me like I came out Monday along or something. And another guy looking down, chewing on the cigar like he's trying to find a place to, to stick a knife or something in me. What, hey, fella? Yes. What kind of jungle ramp is that you guys pulling off there? I say, oh, we, we're playing some blues. He says, by God, you better make them red or green or something else, because I know we don't know white man won't listen to that kind of stuff. That's what they told us, you know what I'm talking about. And so that was the end of that part, see. African-Americans may have left the fiddle and the banjo behind for the most part, but they made their mark. In 1900, the fiddle-playing Americans heard was unlike anything in Europe. It had taken on the syncopation and swing of Africa, and it's been that way ever since. All right, we leave you with Claude Williams and his signature tune, The Fiddler.
Claude Williams wrapping up our encore edition of the African-American string music tradition. Man, I was young back then in the year 2000. Funding for Afropop Worldwide comes from the National Endowment for the Arts, which believes a great nation deserves great art. And from PRX affiliate stations around the U.S. And thank you, by the way, for supporting your public radio station. Visit afropop.org for more from our interview with Howard Armstrong. You can also find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at AfropopWW. My Afropop partner is Sean Barlow. Sean produces our program for World Music Productions. Research and production for this program by Banning Air. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast, including radio programs and our Afropop Close-Up podcast series. And don't forget to join us next week for another edition of Afropop Worldwide. Our chief audio engineer is Michael Jones. This program was mixed in Brooklyn by Michael Jones. Additional engineering by GC from the syncopated lair in Washington, D.C. Benning Air and C.C. Smith edit our website, afropop.org. Our director of new media is Mukwe Wabe Siyolwe. And I'm Georges Collinet.